Hello everyone, welcome to the Arseholics podcast on a Sunday night and apologies for the delay. We did say that we were kicking off this live episode um, at 9.30 and it's 9.40 and that's all my fault because as usual there is something wrong with uh, my system and it's usually my mic just being a dickhead to be honest and that's basically what it was today. Well, it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, we spent ages just trying to diagnose absolute nonsense and doesn't say it's on mute anywhere else apart from one random place on the system where apparently it says it's on mute. So there you go, mate. There you go. Um, well, we won the battle. And as you probably heard his voice, Aaron is here with me. Hello, mate. Good evening. How are you? Yeah, I mean, that aside, I am good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, about. All things that happened this weekend because it was the opening weekend of the Premier League and Arsenal opened up with a win against Forest on Saturday, early kickoff. And um, yeah, we are joint top of the Premier League. So that's awesome. You know, it is. Yeah, it's... we are back on top. Well, I guess we start. Yeah, we started the on match day zero. We start off top, right? Or is it Bournemouth still? I never work out if it's Arsenal Bournemouth that start on top. Due to alphabetical order. It's them. It is them who start. You're right. But, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, forget that. I mean, screw them. Exactly. Who who knows how long they're going to be in the Premier League anyway? Let's be honest. Yeah. They are a candidate yeah. to go down, aren't they? But, um, where we, yeah, we can, we can only hope. Anyway, uh, it was, um, an interesting game with lots to talk about, mate. So today, guys, on, on, on today's episode, we are going to, yeah, we'll do that. We're just going to cover everything about the game on Saturday, which we were privileged enough to be there for. Um, although that was looking unlikely for some of us at some point, which we will get into <laughs> that with the big gating fiasco. Um, and um, yeah, and then we'll just talk a little bit about the, the 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 rest of the games over the weekend and, you know, anything that we might have learned, anything interesting. And uh, we will also look to Crystal Palace. Our next game is Crystal Palace away. We'll look to, towards that. Um, so yeah, I mean, already I can see the comments are like uh, are are really vibrant already. So um, I mean, Sean in the comments, hello mate, how are you doing, Shani? Um, thank you, Shani, thank you for that. He's actually saying evening. Well, I'll get this early. Don't forget to drop a like. Doesn't cost a thing. You freeloaders. Listen, he said it, not me. <laughs> but he's he's right. Like like subscribe, share the podcast. Really appreciate it. And. Um, Shani talking about Mikel channeling his inner pep this weekend, thinking, think changing personnel tactics to suit the opponent will be a regular theme this season. Yeah, I mean, let's let's all get into that for, in a in a second because that's a good point. Aaron, and tell me, uh, why why was there a chance that you weren't going to be able to get in in the stadium? Why was it that you were held back so disgracefully by the servers or whatever kind of bug there was in the um, in in the digital ticketing system? Tell me what happened. Yeah, so that was fun. So kickoff was at 12.30 in the UK on a Saturday morning. I was, I remember we arranged to meet and I think I was running a bit late. So you guys got there, I think about 11.45 and you breezed in. I think Maya said it's the quickest he's ever been in, got into the ground, like through the crowds yeah. and through the turnstiles. I got there at about 12 and it was on the busy side. Right, so you know, I was like, okay, it's a new ticket system. They're only using digital phone tickets now, and there's no more me- membership season ticket cards. This will, um, this will just, this will calm down, and it will go through, and it'll work. But then I, I realized very quickly that the queues weren't moving. Um, 
and then eventually I, f- I found out through some guy in the queue behind me who basically told me that yeah the the whole system's just completely down and no one is getting into the stadium uh and i thought well this is a bit of a problem because there's a game kicking off in about 20 minutes uh so yeah i mean look apparently the ticket system went down they then delayed kickoff by half an hour and then eventually they got everyone back in um apparently yeah they had to reboot the whole thing but actually when i got to the turnstiles what they were doing is just manually checking my ticket a steward was just like he looked at it for all of about half a second saw the he probably saw the arsenal logo on it and was like okay go in and he held there's a disabled gate he just waved me straight in which from a like a security point of view probably wasn't the safest but look it worked and i now need to figure out if i'm still going to get my home credit for this game because i didn't scan it anywhere um but that gate was wide there were at least 50 or 60 people going through that gate so i'm not the only one i did see on twitter that this happened in a few different gates so so yeah it was it was fun and you know it was a bit of a weird vibe because the weather was when we got there it was chucking it down with rain then it was beautiful sunshine and there's cloud uh so yeah i think it contributed to the atmosphere just being a bit i think everyone was just a bit confused um <laughs> and um it's it's one of those where you kind of just hope it is a one-off because yeah they've changed the tickets and i don't want to go into the debate of how you get tickets we're, we're very lucky as season ticket holders that we don't have to deal with the the box office now um but yeah it's it's a bit of a mess and i hope it is a one-off because if it isn't a one-off then the club do need to look at um putting some of that transfer money aside to actually let people into the ground on time because that's probably quite important and chan says club was so impaired unprepared it was embarrassing turnstile issues north bank roof leaking all game uh the beer cutter block man ran out of cups for beer at half time i didn't know that but yeah the um the so north chan bank roof so yeah <laughs> yeah the north bank roof is uh very much leaky so i got leaked on <laughs> um from, oh, yeah. from the emirates leaky. from the emirates gods um on my seat i'm sure uh, a few people in North Bank did. But yeah, it's all part of the fun, you know? And look, as long as we win, which we did, I can forgive the club for all of that nonsense. <laughs> so Agreed. so here we are. Agreed. And, and look, at the end of the day, like, you know, whatever, it was given, given it was an early kickoff, it wasn't like it was an eight o'clock kickoff delayed to then 8.30 and, you know, everyone's getting home at the, you know, the, the crack of dawn. So at least given the game was delayed by half an hour no one no one missed it it was you know yeah you know worse things have happened but anyway we hopefully they sort it out because obviously if they are going to pers- they're going to persist with the digital ticketing they're going to have to make sure this doesn't happen again otherwise it'll be a real faff i'm sure the broadcasters weren't happy at all right um but as you say all that really matters is that we won the game let's talk about that mate so the lineup was interesting wasn't it cuz we said we've been talking on all our preseason episodes. We've been saying about how this season it's probably going to be very hard to predict what lineup Arteta puts out there. Um, we're going to have lots of change, lots of rotation, lots of t- tactical flexibility. And and I mean, he, he did it from the word go, didn't he? I mean, like I don't think anyone called that lineup. So we we lined up with uh, Ramsdale in goal, Durian Timber, Saliba, and and Ben White, and. Um, 
and then it was a really weird Gabrielle sort of not being around, um, which which that was I guess the big shock. But then you know the rest of the, the rest of the lineup essentially had Havertz, Partey, Rice, Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, and uh, Eddie. So it was not a, a lineup when when the lineup was announced and when we saw it, it wasn't something that everyone could obviously piece together. Did it look like Thomas Partey was going to play right back? Did it look like we were just having a kind of back three? What were your feelings when you saw the team sheet, Aaron? Yeah, like you said, I was prepared for some rotation, let's call it, because we do need to rotate. Um, And I think we will continue to rotate. But what I didn't expect was basically the bloke who has pretty much played every single minute when fit for Arsenal in Gabriel, uh, not making it into the lineup. I think there were... I could have drawn out about 15 different combinations of what we would have done. Gabriel would have been in every single starting lineup. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. um, so yeah, it was a surprise. Um, but then you look at kind of what we tried to do and how Forrest set up. Um, I think, you know, it was, it was pretty clever. And I think the more I look at it, when I watch the highlights back, it was, uh, you know, we thought it was a back four with Partey at right back, and sometimes it was that. But what it actually was was more of a a back three with Partey pushing up into midfield, Ben White kind of playing on the right side, uh, Saliba playing in the middle, and then Timber playing on the left. And then the beauty of that is you've basically got two really versatile defenders on each side of that defense who can in Partey, sorry, in Timber and Ben White who can kind of just go all over the place in that back third. Um, and then it allowed Partey to step up. It allowed Rice to push up a bit more um, and really allowed us to try and deal with uh, Forrest's kind of low block. Um, and, you know, for the first 30, 40 minutes, I think it worked really well. And I think overall, I, I don't think we probably created as many chances as we would have liked, but actually... A lot of that I felt was quite circumstantial because we, you know, within 35, 40 minutes were 2 0 up. And I think we, the half chances that we got, we took and we took really well. And then you kind of had the timber injury. And I think things changed in the second half where we weren't as good. But I really, really like the idea that we definitely, we could try something so drastically new that no, no one would have predicted it. And the good thing is, there's no way Forrest would have predicted that. Um, and that's the exciting thing for me is, you know, as long as we can maintain the level where we can keep the familiarity of the system and the positions and, you know, where people stand and how players run, we, well, I think surprised a lot of people going forward this season because we have so many versatile players. Yeah. And you almost have to analyze the game half by half, don't you? Because that first half, like you said, you, we we sprung the tactical surprise and almost executed it to perfection in some ways. I mean, you, you still argue that we weren't at our kind of attacking free flowing best, but whatever the you know whatever it was that we thought we were going to go out there and do, Forrest, like you say, were, were totally clueless. They had this one chance, which was was it kind of came out of nowhere. It was a it was a defensive error from our side, the kind of, uh, it was like an unexpected header that went over the back of our defense and they were one-on-one with the keeper, but they were so shocked at that. 
that they completely, you know, I can't remember who it was that missed the chance, but he completely fluffed a, a really easy chance because it was just so out of nowhere. Because other than that, it was like, to me, it was like watching a, a two teams from maybe two divisions apart. You know, it was just a a team of fantastic footballers who had a plan and just suffocated the life out the other one. Forrest, it, it just felt, couldn't do anything. And it's really interesting because, you know, you talked about that flexibility in defence with Timber and White being so comfortable in various areas. But it's also facilitated by the fact that Saliba was just back to his just, I mean, all-action hero best, wasn't he? He was just, he was so, it was like just godlike in some ways. I just remember watching him and like, it's, and it was quite literally at times like, you know, doing the job of two people, but he made it look so easy. He was just gliding everywhere, intercepting, heading, but not really breaking a sweat, spreading play. He loved it. He just looked like there was never panicked. You know, it was just amazing. Um, and it was just a half where you felt if you were Nottingham Forest, you thought it was going to be a, a really long day, didn't you? I mean, what, I mean, before we get to the goals, I mean, was there anything that stood out for you? Any kind of players wise? Did you just think anyone looked really comfortable in that system? I was really impressed generally with, I thought Thomas Partey was, again, really comfortable doing something that we haven't really seen him do a lot, which is kind of, yes, be the kind of deepest lying midfielder, but then occasionally slot into that kind of right-sided, you know, the right-back role at times. Um, and he, I think, contributed a lot to that flexibility of system because without Partey and then without Rice, that system doesn't really work. Um, I mean, you could say that about most of the players. You could say that without Saliba, you probably can't leave him alone sometimes just having to deal with any last defender. But um, I really like Partey in that role. I really like Saliba, like you said, was very, very good. I thought Havertz defensively had a good game. I think he worked hard. Um Going forward, I don't think he's there yet. Um, but look, I think there are frustrations with you know, how certain aspects of the game went, and we can come to that. But actually, you look at it, is what we had last season was a, a starting 11 where we knew how they would play. We knew who the starting 11 was when, when everyone was fit, and they knew each other really well. Right? What we had um, yesterday was actually three players who are playing for the club for the first time in the league, uh, three new signings, and then Eddie and Ketier as well. So that's four players who don't normally play for us um, coming into the starting 11 and just having to figure each other out. So an element of unfamiliarity is expected. And actually, for given that was an unfamiliar team of players to a certain extent, playing in an unfamiliar system, to play the way we did in that, first 30 40 minutes i think was really really good and yet yes it's forest right and against better opposition we might do something different but um no i was really really encouraged by how comfortable they looked in a very new system yeah talk to me about eddie then he was um we, we talked for ages about who's going to step up into gabriel jesus's shoes against city in the community shield we sort of went habits up top so there was kind of thoughts that would he would he do that again? Uh, um, but if he didn't, would it be Eddie? Would it be Trossard? And he went with Eddie. What did you think of Eddie's performance? Yeah, I thought he was pretty good. You know, I've never been Eddie's biggest fan, right? But 
I think the longer he stays here, the more I respect his his work ethic and his his mentality, right? Where that he is this guy that probably knows deep down that he's never going to be the number one striker at this club, right? He's never going to start if we got to an FA Cup final. He knows that we're, he is behind Gabriel Jesus. He's probably, you'd argue, behind Leo Trossard as well as a kind of second choice for that. Would Although we that? Can... If he, but if he was then, surely Trossard would have started. No, no, you're right, you're right. He, I think he, yeah, I think, I think before this season, we would have said he was almost third choice, right? But what he's done is he's just just been like, look, I don't, I don't really care that I'm not first choice or second choice. I'm just gonna when I when I get my chance, I'm just gonna try and do my best. And a lot of the times, he's taken his chances and he's done well. Yes, there's been games where he's kind of gone missing last season, but he's still young. He's still a young Arsenal Academy player, and for that, I am willing to give him you know, a few more chances, a little bit more time to just see where he can get to. Um, I'm not confident that he will. I think raw talent-wise, yeah, he's probably a bit further down in the squad, but I think his mentality, mentality is, is actually like really elite in the sense that when you are a striker, you know at Arsenal you're not going to play every game, but you know you're not going to get a chance to get seven or eight games to get your you know, to find your feet and he's got to just come in and take his chances. And he, he took his goal really well. Um, I think again, he faded towards the second half and maybe he's not fully fit yet. And, but Arteta did actually say, I don't know if you saw Arteta's uh, post-match conference, but he did say basically he was, uh, he basically said that how Eddie was disappointed that he didn't start in the community shield. And um, I think he basically said, he trained so well that he didn't need to tell me to play. He basically, he, I think Arteta used the words, if you don't pick me, you are blind. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he, and then he kind of just said like, he doesn't ask to play. He doesn't, he doesn't fight. He doesn't say, why am I not playing? He just trains really hard. And that's why I have to play him. It almost felt like he was having a subtle dig at Balogun with that comment. Right. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Where, Very interesting. Yeah. Where he was kind of just saying, Look, Eddie's playing because he's training really hard and he's doing his best, and I respect that. That's why I'm giving him. Like he felt like he had to start. Whereas, look, we don't know what's going on with Balogun behind the scenes, but something isn't right there. And I suspect more than talent, there's a mentality, attitude discussion to be had about kind of who starts between those two. Yeah, and you know, rightly or wrongly, that is one of the clear non-negotiables we've come to understand from the Arteta era, right? He, if you are not on the exact page, he needs you to be character-wise, personality-wise, vibe-wise, you know, you're out the door. And he's been so ruthless, rightly or wrongly, but in fairness, you know what? We're doing very well and and it's it's hard to sort of really, really criticise it, to be honest. But um, it's a curious case for Eddie, is it? Because we talked, I think, the season before last. Do you remember the season before last? He was coming off the bench and he wasn't doing anything. And then he kind of gave an interview and he sort of complained about the fact that he's being asked to come off the bench and and you can't really show anything when you're off the bench. And, and well, I remember at least myself at the time sort of being quite critical of him and, and thinking that, well, isn't that how football works, when especially when you're a striker? 
if you're not first choice, you, you come off the bench when first choice isn't doing so well or whatever, and then you get and you score, and then that that's kind of how it works. Then you get your chance. But the curious case is, it's quite compelling for him the stats, isn't it? Because I think it sort of suggests that when he starts, he more often than not scores. Like his his scoring record when he starts is really really good. I think it's like even better than Gabriel Jesus's is, but. When he comes off the bench, I think there's something like in his last 21 games off the bench, he hasn't scored. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, as a sub, he is he's proven to be pretty ineffective. I mean... Ineffective, yeah, totally. I think a lot of it is circumstantial in the sense that when we are calling on Eddie off the bench, it's usually because we need a goal and we haven't been playing that well. Um, and, you know... He is a striker that absolutely relies on good service and needing to be in the box, being alive in the box. He is not always going to be a striker that if you're struggling to get into the box, you know, he's not going to make something happen, you know, deep inside our own half in that sense, right? And that's what Gabriel Jesus does so well is actually he's not a box striker. He's kind of everywhere, an everywhere player. Um, But I thought actually... Havertz did a lot of that pretty well yesterday in terms of the defensive work, tracking back. Martinelli, I thought, was, again, very good defensively and going forward. There were some moments where he was just incredible. Um, But, yeah, Eddie is uh, a player who I think maybe he'll surprise a few people, including me this season, uh, with just his ability to... There are going to be games, like, this is going to be a long season, and actually... Even if Gabriel Jesus was fit, if this Nottingham Forest game came, let's say after a Champions League game, right, and we're playing Forest at home, there's no reason why you can't start Eddie um, instead of Gabriel Jesus because the level of opposition is a bit lower, and actually you want players to get minutes in games like this. So mm. I wouldn't be surprised if after a Champions League game, I don't know, we're playing Burnley or Bournemouth at home or something like that. Even if Gabriel Jesus is available, even if Trossard is available, just play Eddie and see how he does because he's, you know, yes, he's not good enough to, at least now, to start as our first choice, but he's certainly good enough to do well against Forest or against Burnley in a in a kind of hopefully run-of-the-mill league game. Yeah, I agree. I almost think that he's better when you're playing teams that aren't going to deep block against you. Arguably, you know, when we play teams like Forest and you're at home, they are going to deep block. And I, I, I found that Eddie doesn't find it that easy in games like this quite often. And partly it's because we don't create that much in games like this. And he does require, I think, you know, a lot of good service. But I, I kind of feel like if we go away, for, for example, I think he'll do quite well away at Palace. Because Palace aren't going to, you know, sit back against us. So they're not going to do that at home. And so I think that that might be quite good for him. I agree with you. I think he could surprise a few. Can we talk about Havertz a little bit? Because he's probably the one that, and I imagine, you know, he's going to be a divisive figure generally. He's been a divisive figure when, you know, we signed him through preseason. He's been divisive. He's been divisive after this game as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, in this game, it was an interesting one where if you look at the stats and if you look at, if you go in social media, it's really torn. Like you get these people kind of going, look, he's going to had a, had a brilliant kind of off the ball performance. He did loads of good things. He kind of won loads of duels. He, he did basically what he was asked to do 
aside from actually <laughs> provide much end product, which many people would kind of turn around and say, well, isn't that, isn't that the main thing? Um, I personally did feel like if, if, if there was one player who was, who seemed to be playing without a bit of confidence, then it was him. That's what it felt like. There was a few times where I thought he could have just done something with a bit more conviction. Uh, a couple of times where he looked like he was sort of through, but I still overall thought it was a decent performance. And I think the other thing that's very difficult is we almost judge players on where we think that the manager has asked them to play or told them to do. We, we sort of say, oh, is he playing as a central midfielder or as a striker? And then basing our judgment on kind of a, a predisposition on what we think that role should fulfill. But in reality, we know that Arteta may have had very, very specific instructions for him. And therefore times where we're like, well, why is he there? It's probably actually because Arteta has told him to be there. Um, but anyway, that's sort of my take on him. Well, what, what was yours? Yeah, I think I'd agree. He's a player that is tactically, I think, very good in the sense that I reckon Arteta feels that he can coach him to play a certain way and Havertz will do that. Um, and that's why I thought positionally, I thought he was very good. Defensively, I thought he was very good. But like you said, Raj, I think... You call it confidence. I think he's not. When he gets the ball, he he's kind of just afraid to show like what kind of player he is. And maybe, maybe that's confidence. Maybe it's just I'm in a new team. I'm just gonna play this by the book rather than run this game by myself. Because actually, what you want is you know you want players who are coached well who follow the system but when the time comes especially for those attacking players you want them to show who they are right you want them to show their character that's what Odegaard does so well is that yes tactically he'll trap back he'll go across he'll go left he'll go right but then he has the ability to do something special and play a wonderful pass or you know do a, a Cruyff turn to find himself in space and I think Havertz doesn't yet have that hasn't yet shown that Right, And I think he just needs to settle down, play a constant position where he kind of learns the system a bit more. And look, this is still early days. This is his first league game for us. And then I think we will start to see the brilliant attacking side of Kai Havertz because I think so far he's kind of just been a a well-coached, you know, almost like a, a very, like a Granite Xhaka equivalent, like in the sense that he's, He's doing what he needs to do, but not much more. <laughs> and but there is so much potential, and I don't think we've even like seen the tip of the iceberg with him because I think there's a lot there. And yeah, he needs to do more. The, the, again, the, the hard part is like when we saw him, when you see him in person, as we did on Saturday, he doesn't. Uh, you know, his demeanor, his the way he walks, the way he carries himself, is just not. It doesn't look good. Right? It's part doesn't of that look... just because he's really tall. Yeah, he's quite tall, but then he's not like super built. So he's a bit lanky in that sense. And then he's, um, yeah, he just sometimes just looks down. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's his face. Maybe he's just got one of those faces that <laughs> isn't like a tough, energetic footballer. But mm. yeah, I think you've just got to not look at his body language. Kai Havertz is a player that you just don't look again. The, the comparison has been made so many times to Meza Erzul, right? Where actually Erzul could be like, "Hey, I'm just really happy. I'm having a really good game," and then the commentator would just say, "Like, 
look at his body language he looks upset he looks down he looks yeah rejected yeah, yeah. and i don't i think Havertz is probably quite misunderstood in that sense yeah, um maybe, maybe there is an element of it i don't know like maybe we're just giving him too much like a benefit too much kind of uh like giving him the benefit of the doubt a bit too easily and maybe, maybe he does need to improve his body language and he does need to work harder i don't know but my worry is there that when we aren't playing well that stuff doesn't translate well into the crowd and um you saw it a few times i think i heard a few comments where you know he had that chance where he could have been through on goal and he didn't really deal with the defender that well um a few people were getting quite annoyed because he looks quite dejected um I no, I'm I'm actually like someone who wasn't very over the moon with Havertz when we signed him. I'm actually pretty pleased with what he's been doing so far. Um so I'm but let's see, let's see. I want to see more going forward from him. Agree, agree. There's been a couple of comments just about Eddie, so I'll just read them out. You know, Russ saying and Ketcher is a fox in the box. I think Arteta feels a striker who needs to hold the ball up and play others in. Eddie offers goals, but little else, which I don't think Arteta is keen on. I think it's a really good point, Russ. And, you know, Salman in the comments. Um, thank you, Salman, for commenting. He says, too much disrespect to Eddie. He's actually better in the box compared to Jesus. This is, you know, people say this quite frequently about, you know, Eddie is this great box striker. And many people do say he's arguably, um, you know, better than Jesus. I think it is a problem, right? At this level, you've got to be more than that. I mean, Jesus is, Jesus is a four-time Premier League champion. Um, he's a arguably the best pressing forward in the world. I mean, that's certainly what Pep thinks. That's what um, Brazil coaches have said in the past. You know, he is a truly elite player. He's he's still criminally underrated in, in my book, uh, Gabriel Jesus. And I think Jesus is a good player for Eddie to be around, to just understand that that's what the level is. It's not just about, you know, technically how good you are finishing in the box. It's about everything else. It's about moments. It's about how you navigate periods in the game. And I think, uh, you know, Eddie has a lot to learn. But um, yeah, no, um, agree. He is he is a good box striker. Uh, Aaron, uh, let's go on to Bukayo Saka briefly because the second goal that we scored, it was kind of a, sort of out of nowhere, I suppose. It, you know, we had a corner. The corner was a, I think was a little bit, ended up being a little bit scrappy. Um, it, it then kind of came out why Saliba did a great job at recovering the ball wide. Then he um, he basically ends up laying it off to Saka, who manages to open up his body, and you know it looked great from where we were sitting. It looks even better when you see it on TV. Just absolutely nails an unstoppable finish um, into the top corner. Matt Turner, who's probably faced that shot a thousand times in Arsenal training, still has no way of stopping that. It's unstoppable. How good was that goal? And do you feel relieved that we've just got Saka back and running as he, you know, as, as, as kind of we've seen he can do last season? Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was a phenomenal goal. We've seen it before and he's just becoming one of those players that, yeah, the classic, the classic comparisons, Iron Robin, right? Where, you know what Iron Robin's going to do, right? You know exactly what he's going to do. Every defender in the world, when they face Arjen Robin, knows exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. yeah, every time he just manages to do it, <laughs> which is come inside and shoot. And um, the the beauty is, I think Saka again. I, I saw him post match. I watched a post match interview on BT where 
he kind of just said, look, he really struggled to get into that space because the defenders were going two on one on him and he struggled to like do anything. But actually that moment where, you know, Saliba did actually just give him uh, a great pass and he managed to lay it off into a bit of space and then just bang, finish was insane. Um, he's trying to, he's trying to do that more. And the beauty is actually if defenders think, think he can do that, he can, and he's just as good going the other way, going on the outside and then coming inside and running past you and squaring it across the box as well. Um, he's such a complete player that I think, you know, he's just, it's just, I don't know, there's, there's words that like we've said everything that can be said. He's, he's honestly, in my opinion, one of the best people in that position right now that I've, mm. I've seen. Like, I can't think of many. I think Rio Ferdinand said it's kind of between him and Salah. Uh, for the best in the world in that position, which is like ridiculous to think that from our academy, we've essentially got. If you think, what, well, how much is Salah worth in today's money? Like, if he was a bit, you know, a twenty-one-year-old Salah, like, would probably be worth a lot of money. And this this kid has come through our academy, and is just doing it for Arsenal. He's signed a new contract. Long may this kid just continue to just get better and better and better. Yeah, man. And that's that's when it comes to this elite level and winning these big trophies, it, it's about kind of players like that maximising their potential in those big moments. You know what I mean? And, and there's not many players, I think, that can do it. And even in our team, I think we're a really, really, really talented team. But there's not that many players that you think can single-handedly do something that will change the course of a game. And he's one of them. So long may it continue. Like you say, the goal was, was brilliant. Absolutely awesome. Um, so mate, we go in two nil. It's a really dominating, you know, every stat effectively says it's complete domination. I think at half time it was something like 80%, 81% possession, yeah. which is ridiculous, man. That's, that's, that's just unfair. Um, but like the second half was just weird, wasn't it? Because, I recall there being many instances in the second half where it still looked okay. It still looked good. We were still generating some stuff. Declan Rice had a couple of chances, I remember. But we didn't really... We did, There was a, some, some kind of edge that was lacking even before they pulled one back. What do you think that was? I mean, was that your take on it? Did you think it was just an... Yeah, it was, it was very flat. It felt like we didn't really get out of first gear in that sense i don't think actually forest for a large parts of it almost seemed to have like accepted the two nil scoreline and it was one of those weird games where i felt like okay arsenal were like okay we're not going to try more if you don't try more and for us we're like okay we'll take two nil let's just play this game out and for you know which isn't the right way we should approach this let me i'm not saying that's right but that's what it kind of seemed like kind of seemed like a bit of a pre-season game where we're playing a team much worse than us, and they're like, "Okay, we're done. We'll we'll see you when like things get serious in the league." Um, and yeah, we we really didn't have any intensity. We didn't have any energy. The players were passing around. There's some stupid, silly passes from Odegaard at one point where I'm just like, "Why are you playing that? It's just unnecessary. Like you don't need to play that pass. It was a pass that you play when you're two 0 up and you're just a bit overly confident." Um, and it didn't really work out. Um, I thought, 
just generally it was a bit casual. And I mean, the other thing is obviously the, you know, Yuri and Timber came off, which I'm sure we'll talk about mm. in a bit, but that meant that Tomiyasu just wasn't as dynamic and as technical as what Timber was doing, which obviously didn't help. But I think we kind of just thought actually at 2-0, that's okay. Um, and then, yeah, we, I remember then, obviously we had a corner or at least a decent chance up our red and we lost the ball. And then I think it was Elanga just started running and they obviously brought Elanga on and oh, I can't remember the other guy's name who scored. Um, but I won you. Yeah, he came on yeah. and obviously they were, they were very fresh and they weren't like, they weren't part of this agreement that they'd, you know, the two teams have had in the first, the second half of like, okay, let's just play this out. They were like, we're going to run. We're fresh. Like, this is our Premier League debut for this. Like, it was our Premier, like a first few minutes of the season. They're going to run. And, um, and then they just ran. <laughs> and it was sloppy. We didn't foul Elanga. We didn't foul Awanoi uh, when we could have done. Um, and yeah, they scored. It was silly. I think some would probably argue that Ramsdale should have done a bit better on the goal. I'm not really sure about that. I thought it was a tricky one, but we should have dealt with the goal, put it that way. Um, and yeah, then, yeah, I don't know. What do, what do you think? Am I, like, is there more to it than that? Or is there some science or, you know, Russ says no, I think the timber injury rattled us. Yeah, the timber injury definitely had a had a was a factor, but Tommy Asu is no, Tommy Asu is not a bad player, right? He should come in and he's good enough to play at that level. Yes, he's not going to invert and do things, but the team should adapt. Yeah, it, it, I mean, look, there's an argument, say, that because Timber's injury looked potentially serious, it may have rattled the team a little bit, thinking, oh, God, it's only game one and we've lost a really talented player that we've just signed. I don't know. But I don't think you're right from a technical standpoint. Tommy Asu came on and think he was fine. I didn't see an issue with that. I didn't think that you know it, it meant that we had to do too much different given the opposition. But um, I, and I completely agree. It was the freshness because Alanga's quite a good player anyway. I always liked Alanga from Man United anyway, um, and um, and he was and he's quick and and I think we just sort of got done. I think what's really disappointing though, if you look at it overall is that I mean I think they had two attempts Nottingham Forest on goal anyway right I think they had two shots on goal two shots on target rather and one of them's got in now that's just not good enough from an Arsenal perspective to to think that you know to, to end up winning a game 2-1 having 80% possession in the end I think it was still 80% possession that we had it doesn't mean anything like it means totally nothing if you're gonna say that you know out of the two shots your opponent get on goal they're gonna score one of them it just it means nothing and i think that we've we've got luckily i think our team is now more experienced and the players that we've added are, are more experienced and i i think that they will kind of see it as a good wake-up call and I, I and i don't think they're going to be incredibly naive going forward in fact i think that it's just i'm happy to put this one down to just opening day you know not necessarily kind of being at a hundred percent pace and just you know perhaps being a little bit um unconsciously um easy let me say i don't i don't know what if that's the best way to put it but that you know let, let's talk about a timber injury a little bit because he obviously was such a top player for us in the community shield uh it wasn't therefore a surprise to see him retain his place when he went 
down initially. It was before halftime, I think, that he went down, right, initially. And that didn't look great when he went down. And then he halftime came, he came back out, and very soon into the second half, he wasn't, you know, it wasn't a contact injury. So no, you know, it was just, he basically just randomly seemed to go down and then slow motion, it looks like his knee does something kind of a bit funny. But when he was getting seen by the physios, you know, immediately the guy was, you know, my friend Jeff, who was sitting with us, Jeff's done his ACL before. His dad, I think, is also an orthopedic surgeon. And he immediately said, they're testing for his ACL. You know, immediately he, he, he said, like, that's an, that's an ACL test they're doing. So I'm a bit worried because Arsenal still haven't announced what the deal is, which I feel like can only mean they're doing significant tests to figure out how serious this is. Um, otherwise, put it this way: if it was nothing, I can't imagine they, you know, they haven't leaked something, or or he hasn't. He seems to be quite active on Instagram and Twitter or whatever. I'm surprised he wouldn't have said anything. Um, do you have a concern, Aaron? And and I mean, do you think that? Uh, you know, is this something, you know, in a way you've seen a lot of these teams get early injuries. Are we due an early injury and are you kind of willing to accept it? Well, am I willing to accept it? <laughs> no. I mean, would I rather he was there, obviously. Um, that, that injury, it looked bad. Um, I think from my side, just describing the the moment, right, he was off the ball, he the ball kind of was played to him pretty early on and he just almost went down um, out of nowhere. And he went down in a way that looked like he twisted something or looked like he he kind of felt a bit of a struggle. And then, yeah, he, he was off. I mean, look, the, it, the only bit that kind of makes me feel a little bit reassured is if he had done his ACL or done something significant, in that first bit of contact, then I think the club had all of half time to check it. Um, so if the club did have any issues with it, they would have probably seen something that significant during the 15 minutes that they probably would have got him on the physios table and got him out there. So yeah, I think I'm hoping that it's, it's not bad, but the way he went down is certainly a concern and certainly an issue so i'm hoping that he's going to be okay fingers crossed and we will see how that one goes um me too i mean i think everyone's going to be very eagerly eagerly watching what comes out on social media um because he has just looked like a real talented player hasn't he so let's let's hope for the best on that now you know fine it is what it is. It wasn't great. And it's not nice being at the end of a home game, 2-1 against Forest, and and you know, you're the team that's trying to run it into the corners and you're the team that's trying to, you know, kill time. That wasn't nice at all for me. But at the end of the day, a win's a win, right? We we've gone away and we've taken we've got the three points, and that's how you want to start the season. Um the other results this weekend have so far been um this doesn't I don't think there's been anything crazy aside from Newcastle absolutely battering Villa, um, which I was a bit surprised about because, you know, I, you know, Villa have 
seemingly kind of turned into quite a decent side but you know clearly they took an absolute hammering i think five one it was but aside from that you know you had man city really dispatching burnley on opening day away from home you had today a couple of interesting results with um kind of brentford and spurs and brentford drawing two all with spurs and and chelsea and and liverpool drawing one all aaron have you learned anything from what you've seen so far anything surprised you I think there are no, nothing major, no major surprises. I think the results have sort of gone the way I expected them to. I think within for one game, look, there's there's not much you can you can say that I was impressed by Newcastle, but I thought Villa Villa were doing okay, and then Emery kind of just made some weird substitutions, and then they seemed to just lose their shape and structure and and started conceding a lot of goals. Um, I'm not as hot on Villa as everyone else seems to be. I think Villa, what Villa will do is Villa will get points against big teams because Emery likes to um, Emery likes to see like in big games to push teams and like step up a lot. But in other games, I think Emery will just do dumb things and he'll struggle to dominate teams that he should be beating. Um, so yeah, I think I'm not as excited on Villa. Um, apart from that, I think I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Man United look. Spurs, I thought were okay, but it's hard to it's hard to work out. Like, is this just preseason, early season rustiness, or is this team actually not good? Um, and you know, one signing or two signings can easily make a a huge difference. Yeah. Agreed. But I, I like the fact that you aren't sold on Villa completely because I found them quite an unlikable team over the years. And I don't know why that is. They've kind of just made their way up onto the list of teams I don't really like that much. And I like Unai. I want Unai to do well, but I don't particularly want Villa to do well. And I I think it's interesting, though, because clearly the squad that they're trying to assemble is, is half decent. Uh, they're making the odd good signing. And so clearly they, they have a decent amount of ambition. I'd love to know how far that ambition runs, though. I'd, I'd love to understand from a Villa perspective whether they think that they genuinely can be, you know, we not now, we don't call it top four anymore. We're probably going to have to call it top five. But even if it's top five, I don't don't really know how realistic that is, given the amount of competition out there. Um, let's talk very briefly, Brentford, Tottenham. I don't know if you managed to see any of the game. Uh, I, I did see bits and... It looked like Tottenham did some decent stuff every now and again through James Madison overall. Like I think they looked okay going forward, but there were a couple of times, mate, where I was like, Harry Kane would have finished that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought again, I thought Brentford were pretty decent. Um yeah, it's one of those where that game was just a bit weird. I couldn't tell certainly like what Spurs were trying to do. They didn't do much, but then Brentford at times were really sloppy and then they let Spurs back into it twice. Well, sorry, Spurs went up in front, I think, at the start, and then obviously Brentford went 2-1 up. Um, but, you know, there were definitely periods in that game where I just felt Brentford should have just absolutely killed them off, and they didn't. And yeah, Brentford were the better team, but not good enough to win it, I think. And I think if you're... um, oh, I struggle to say a Spurs manager's name. Postelig Postelegu, is that how you say it? Um, you'll be pretty pleased with a point away at Brentford, I think, because it is a hard place to come to. Not many teams actually managed to win there last season. You know, we were one of a very few number of teams that did actually win there. Um, 
but yeah, I think it was one of those where we like Spurs. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, don't, I my heart and my head tells me Spurs will struggle this year, but they could just become. Like they could be what everyone thinks Villa are going to be this season, um, and just be well coached, well organized, two or three really good players. I think Son Son has looked awful, looked awful in that game. Um, if he comes good, I think that's a big one, right? But if he if he really has just completely fallen off a cliff and hit that that age cliff where his levels just drop, then I think they'll struggle because Richarlison on his own, I don't think will do enough. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 there's moments where I'm looking at Tottenham going, well, I can see them doing okay. But but okay, when I say okay, I, I there's there's not a bit of me that thinks that they'll be in the top five. Um, so for me, it's just more of a case of, I would think, I would say doing okay is sixth. If they finish sixth, I'd be like, okay, well done, actually. Like, not, you know, that's probably... So do you think, having seen having oh, seen the, yeah. the opening games... yeah. Has your top five prediction changed? No, it hasn't. Obviously, I haven't seen Man United yet, but it hasn't yeah. because I think, you know, I had Liverpool and Chelsea in my top five. And and today, I thought they both have reasons to, to think that they'll probably be okay this season. I, I did, when, I, when I watched the Chelsea-Liverpool game today, I did think that if Arsenal were to play either of those teams right now, like literally if they played today, I think Arsenal would win. I'd be, I'd have been really, I would have really looked forward to seeing Arsenal play against them, given how their defences look today. Because, yeah, I I think they've still got a lot of things that both sides need to sort out. But I think there's still some good stuff there. So I, I, yeah, no, I haven't changed my mind. Uh, we're going to have to give it some games though at the end of the day, right? And there's still going to be some transfers left to be made. So, um, so let's see. What about you? Did you do you think that there's anything that's made you change your mind? Uh, no, I think Newcastle obviously looked very good. I didn't predict them to. I think I predicted them to struggle because of the depth of their squad. Might their squad depth might get challenged over the course of the season? I think actually that's probably a a theme that I like echo for a number of teams. Actually, including Man City now, which is, I think we're at a point now where we probably have, if not the deepest squad in the league, one of the deepest squads in the league in terms of Mm. how deep that quality goes, where we've got, you know, I've talked about this before, but good quality backups who you wouldn't mind saying if, you know, this player was out for three, four, five games, we would make it work now obviously if multiple of those players were out and we had backups you know we had three four five of those let's say backups playing the overall quality of this the first 11 does drop right but you know you saw it with city you know de bruyne is potentially out for a while with that kind of hamstring injury that he's been struggling with for a while i think you know if city don't sign anyone else having lost gundogan um, having lost Mares, that takes a lot out. I know they're different, playing different positions, but that puts a lot of dependency on some of their squad players who might not be up to the challenge. It's still City; they could still bring about you know, multiple good players. But actually, then you go down that squad. A, some of these first 11s have obvious holes in them, but you know, I think Liverpool they need a defensive midfielder. Chelsea probably need a 
a defensive midfielder and probably an attacking midfielder as well. Um, and actually, you take one, two of those players out of that first 11, the Chelsea first, the Liverpool first 11, the Man United first 11, the Spurs first 11, the replacements that come in are potentially several levels below. Um, and that might be the advantage that we have, that we really need to make work. Well, the issue I worry about is like if some of these replacements come in, if Smith Rowe comes in, if Vieira comes in, if Trossard comes in, uh, Kivior comes in, uh, David Rea comes in, hopefully, are they going to be match ready? Are they going to be familiar with the systems? Because they're individually very, very good players, right? They would walk into most first 11s in the Premier League. Um, so we just need to make sure they're ready to go as soon as they're called upon. And that probably means starting them in games where mm. they, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to start. Yeah, agreed. On that basis, I wonder what we're going to do against Crystal Palace, mate, uh, coming up. So uh, the next round of fixtures are, are interesting because I think in the league table, out uh, the teams that won, well, have won so far this weekend, obviously Man United and Wolves haven't played yet. I think six teams won, I want to say. Does that make sense? That makes logical yeah. sense. And four of those teams are playing each other. So it's a real like big six battle this <laughs> yeah. weekend. Um, and so Arsenal, Palace are two of those teams. Palace won. Palace is good against Sheffield United. I know it's Sheffield United and, you know, we haven't really got a good sense of where Sheffield United, you know, are exactly in terms of how good they are. Um, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look great for Sheffield United on the face of it because like, I still don't understand why they would have sold Sander Burge to, Burnley that makes zero sense to be promoted and then sell your best central midfielder to another team that got promoted. I just don't get it. Um, Cause I, yeah, anyway, anyway, but point is, I, so I don't really know what Sheffield United's tactic is this season. Do they genuinely want to stay up this season or are they thinking that they need a season to just kind of, you know, get the Premier League money, go back down and then kind of make another kind of effort as we've seen the likes of Norwich and Fulham do in the past. Um, but Palace did win and Palace looked good, like from the highlights. So, uh, again, all I saw was match of the day, but they did look better than I thought Palace would look. What are your thoughts looking towards the game? We've got a slightly longer break than, than, than kind of, you know, the other teams. Well, I guess, you know, probably the same as Palace because Palace also played Saturday, but you know, we, we've played Saturday and, and we're not going to be playing until Monday. So there's a good recuperation time. It's a good time for Arteta to think things through, prepare the team. What do you think? What do you think we've got in store next Monday? Yeah, I think, look, I think the fact that we went there early on last season and won, well, the opening day of last season, because I think you and I were there, Raj, right? Um, mm. the, the ability to do that has made the prospect of, because I think that was a Friday night game, this is going to be a Monday night game, the prospect of that just a little bit less daunting. But also the fact that we've also gone there before and lost means that we won't be complacent at all. Um, so I would hope and I do expect that we would prepare very, very well. I'd expect that we would um, you know, be ready, be fair. I'd hope there's positive news on... Uh, I've forgotten his name Timber. now. Timber. Um, and you know, hopefully we'd have David Rea over the line by then. I've heard he's due back in training. He's due to actually train tomorrow. So um, oh well, okay. at some point, I'm going to hope that 
this guy that's going to turn up to training is going to be announced as our player. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, it's going to be like, what's his name? Robert Pires, who just kept rocking up to training like for five years after retiring. <laughs> and everyone was like, why, why is he still here? Um, but I think... Look, I yeah, I think it'll be a good. I think it'll be good game because, like you said, Raj, Palace won't necessarily play a low block. Right, playing at home, they're going to be incentivized to just try and push us a bit more. Um, I don't know how well they'll press us, so it might mean that we have the ability to try and just kind of break through their lines a bit. I think, like you said, this is a good game for players like Ketia, for Havertz, for Martinelli. Um, and I'm I'm kind of hoping that it'll be a a comfortable-ish win. I'm hopeful too. I that sounds silly. I I would rather actually they didn't have had such a kind of easy game mm. against Sheffield United because it, it probably built a little bit of confidence. Uh, I think going away to Palace on opening day would have probably been quite a good fixture for us again. To be honest, I. I fully expect us to go there and win. I fully expect us to go there and put a very kind of dominant performance as well. Uh, because I think that one of the things when I was watching us play, and partly this was because you've got, you know, Declan Rice maybe, and he's the one problem who stood out. But I did look on the pitch various times and think, bloody hell, there were a lot of good players on this pitch. Yeah. And I thought that a little bit last season, but I thought even more, you know, against Forest when you had Timber and, and, and rice but you know even even Havertz who you know fine he might be kind of divisive but he's still a Champions League winner he's still kind of you know a player with a lot of pedigree um so I just I feel there's so much and I and and look I just want to see the team do well uh, on next Monday and I have every faith that they will I am intrigued as to what we do with the lineup I think you know going to kind of Russ's point here Russ is just saying about how he was surprised with the Gabriella mission and saying, I hope it was just an experiment as he's played something like 70 games straight. I mean, Russ, I, I think everyone was surprised. My fantasy football team was very surprised yeah. and very upset that Gabriel didn't play. But um, but you're right. You know, he, he like like Aaron had pointed out at the beginning of this podcast, he was the, the last person that you thought wouldn't play in every combination of team that you may have written down on paper. But I think he'll play it anyway. I think he'll play um, against Palace. And I think he would have played irrespective of whether Timber got injured. I, I I firmly think that we would just go to Palace and go with a normal kind of back four um, out of possession, if you like, um, if that's what the best way you want to call our system. And so, yeah, I can see Gabriel and Saliba being reinstated as a as a back two as a, as a you know centre back combination. But yeah, look, I'm I'm really looking forward to that game. And yeah, fortunately, I, I am going to the game with with Mize. Uh, so. Yeah, that and maybe I'll maybe I'll see Aaron Ramsdale's dad again. Oh yeah, Aaron, and I'll, give, I'll give him your love. We had a drink with yeah, Aaron Ramsdale's dad last time, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give him. I'll give him your love, um, mate. He's a nice guy. Um, so, do you want to hear some news about Chelsea? Well, there you go. I was just going to say before we wrapped up, I also did what you did, and I was like, well, I wonder if, like, in true Arseholics podcast fashion. David Ornstein has tweeted whilst we've been recording because he normally does. He normally finds out when the Arseholics are recording. And then I think he, he's just he sitting tweet. on the sofa watching, just watching does, us. That's what he does. And uh, being like, I'm just going to wait, 
so they can talk that, about transfer. That is all he does. Do you want to read out what it says? All right. So the the ongoing, in my opinion, kind of tiring transfer saga of the last, not just the last window, but the last three windows of Moises Caicedo. Well, some may debate how you say that, but I say it's Caicedo. Um, Chelsea have struck an agreement with Brighton to sign Caicedo, a British record 115 million fee and a sell-on clause to Brighton. Contract eight years with the option of a ninth. Medical book for tomorrow, transfer expected to be completed same day. Oof, Raj, what do you make of that? That's absolutely insane. Like, so, look, firstly, I think that I I still, e- even though I think that I'm fairly um, with the times, I still am bulking at you know a lot of these big transfer fees. But I've come to accept that that's just the way it is. And I think with Declan Rice, I was just accepting that that's just the way it is. With Jude Bellingham, you know, I could get kind of accept that's the way it is. With the thing is with the Casino, the thing that I struggle with with him with, it still feels to me that he's sort of a bit flavor of the monthy. And I thought this even when we, by the way, you know, when we bid eighty million for him, I was like, what the hell? Like, since when? Like, I, I had no idea he was regarded as one of the best players in the premier league because you know i mean if someone's bidding 80 even 80 million for you you're probably one of the best players in the premier league to be honest right so when we bid that much in january i was like geez but the fact that you've got two absolute you know premier league heavyweights in chelsea and liverpool vying to see who can make him the most expensive premier league player of all time i mean that's incredible i'm 115 million as you say plus plus a sell-on um and look for him I mean, you remember when when we bid for him and, and he kind of did this whole, he put that public statement out to ask Brighton to let him leave. And and in his write-up, I think, you know, he sort of mentioned about how this contract would you know, change the lives of his family and, you know, all this kind of stuff. He talked about, you know, all that, how he's basically come from nothing. Um, he, You know, I, I, I'm not, you know, he turned down Liverpool allegedly, right? Like he said he didn't want to go to Liverpool and wanted to go to Chelsea. I wonder how much of it is because Chelsea are offering out contracts like this eight years with a potential nine yeah he know he basically can go whatever happens he is sorted for the rest of his life right yeah yeah he could could probably retire at the end probably put him on at least what 200k a week right you'd you'd guess for someone like that they'd probably make him the top earner at the club because you know not because it's logical but because that's how todd todd bowley just thinks like player asks for money he'll just give it to him so 200 250k a week even 300k a week wouldn't surprise me i doubt he'll be on the i actually don't think he'll be on that much you think i i i think i no i i I think that even though it is a massive um you know transfer fee i wouldn't be surprised if it is something i I imagine it'll be a lot i still imagine it'll be like about 150k or something but i imagine it'll be 150k or something with you know every year goes up by this amount of you know this percent this percent this percent like that yeah. That, anyway, anyway, that's by the by. Yeah. All right. Fine. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, player wages are so hard to like really get accurate information on. It's going to be a guess either way. But he'll be on a decent amount. And like you say, eight year contract. So eight years with an option of another one. Is that right? Yeah. Eight, which is insane. Like I thought. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that FIFA were making this stuff illegal. Yeah, I know. Just, I thought that's right. Yeah. Um. It, it allows them to basically, you know, amortize the the fee for eight years over nine nine years. One hundred and ten million is actually not that much, like fifteen twenty million a month a year is 
is doable, right? But that, and then I, I'm, as far as I know, I'm aware, FIFA just jumped in and were like, no, this is like, you can't do this anymore. This is like making a mockery of the already made a mockery of rules, which is financial fair play, which Chelsea have completely just uh, like shat on, basically. Um, I think I read somewhere they spent like 900 million pounds in the last two windows or something like that, 303 windows or something, which is ridiculous. Um, look, I think he's a really good player. I think he, every time I've seen him play, he's been really good. Um, I think, you know, when he was linked with us, I did a lot of research on him. And I remember people saying that actually Brighton did really, really well to get him because when he was in South American football, he was regarded as like one of the talents of his age group. And the fact that he went to Brighton was a huge coup for him. And it, you know, I don't want to judge too harshly, but he does seem like the typical South American badly advised wonder kid who doesn't really know, doesn't really have any club loyalty, but doesn't really care, like doesn't really think in terms of football terms where he wants, right? And I think, like you said, the, a nine-year contract is definitely one where he thinks, I'll sod the football. Because I think, whichever way you look at it, if you're a young player, Liverpool, for me, is 10 times a better destination than Chelsea. Um, a Liverpool who would make you the undisputed you know, king of their midfield for the next four or five years under a manager who is tactically brilliant, motivationally brilliant, you know, the fans out there will love you forever. Why would you not go to Liverpool? Um, instead, you go to Chelsea, you'll sign a million players. You have no idea who their manager is going to be in a year because they may get bored with Pochettino. Um, you have an owner who's completely reckless who, yeah, like they signed Fernandez and now they're signing Caicedo. What's to say that in another year's time, they go and bid 100 million for Jude Bellingham or something like that and because they think they can get him? Um so, yeah, I don't get it. But fair play to Chelsea for getting it done. And bless you. So you just need good, good way to end your point. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, respect, I've, you know, in the, in the sense that they clearly wanted a player in that position. Them and Liverpool both desperately wanted one and they've, they've ended up getting the one that they, they wanted. Um, I, I'm too, I'm really confused at the FFP angle uh, from the perspective that I thought that that, long contract thing was being banned I don't, I don't i remember at the time thinking i don't know how they banned that i'm not really sure how that works um unless you basically change what i thought was be more realistic is you change the ffp rules and you basically say okay like you can only kind of you know spread out the cost of the transfer over i don't know a maximum of five years or something do you know what i mean something like that so your contract can be longer but you can't spread it over like an eight ten year thing i i, I don't know how that would work but um but the fact of the matter is you, you still need cash to, to do all this and um you know they are relying i suppose on i imagine a lot of these deals aren't a case where they're paying 115 million to brighton straight away um they are probably paying this in you know various installments over a period of time and that's still cash and i imagine that they've got a lot of deals which are structured in a similar way where there's a, therefore a lot of cash that's going out going on a on an annual basis the chelsea model for me you know ffp aside ignore ffp for a second but it is very, very contingent on them being a, a Champions League side, right? 
and it is very very dependent on that money coming in so i am very interested to see i mean for to see how that pans out i think if they at the end of the day if they can keep get if they can propel themselves in the top five and carry on doing that then i'm sure they can make the maths work otherwise you know the worst case scenario is you get into a situation where for a couple of years you just really struggle to meet those cash payments those pure cash payments right like this is this is going back into a you know accounting kind of situation where you know it doesn't really matter you could you could actually look really profitable you your business itself could like look really good from a PL perspective but from a cash perspective you can still go bankrupt yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean like so it's it's very possible um but anyway anyway i just uh, gotta say like i just scrolling through david ornstein's like twitter feed and on the 7th of sorry on the 18th of july he reported that chelsea bid 60 million for moises Caicedo. so in the space of a month or just under a month uh, the fee has gone from Chelsea bidding sixty million to getting one hundred and ten million, sorry, one hundred and fifteen million accepted. Uh, so I know, like, a lot of Brighton fans have said that, like, actually, they can lose McAllister, for example, but losing Caicedo is a real big blow to them. But they've walked away with, you know, almost one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty million quid for those two players. So they are very, very good getting value for their players it it's a miracle that we managed to get 30 give them 30 million for leo trossard to be fair mm. because um, i think if they we came asking now probably worth about double that so no i Incredible. i don't know i think chelsea's financial financially are doing some very very shady things that i think will probably come out in a while but as with all of these shady things um like you can keep doing them until you get caught. And even when you get caught, it takes Premier League and lawyers and everyone years to argue over if it's even bad. And by then it's, it's too very late. very hard. Yeah. It's very hard, all this, isn't it? It's just messy. No one's held to account. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Chelsea have done anything wrong per se, but the point is, if they have done something wrong, I don't have any faith in anything happening of any material nature you know it's just it's it's just the 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 faith in in the faith in justice with regards to stuff like this is just a bit yeah it's just do you do you feel a bit sorry for liverpool no i don't because it doesn't sound like they were actively trying to negotiate for him it sounded like they were you know they they kind of just not came out of nowhere but a little bit came out of nowhere when chelsea kind of had agreed on a on a on a price they knew what price would be would you know they knew what would be accepted uh, liverpool went and jumped in I, I find that odd because liverpool i don't imagine are in the business of just kind of saying yeah whatever the price is we'll pay it um they needed someone in this position they need someone in this position like they openly need someone in this position and they've kind of, you know, you. it sounds like they just didn't do any of the groundwork with the player. You know, it sounds like they just didn't you know, do, do. When you're doing a transfer for that size, you don't drop 110 million on a player and not do the groundwork. Like, what the hell is that about? That sounds like really weird. Like, you surely would know he'd come to you. Like that, it, for me, it, feel, that it feels... Is, yeah, that is a bit of a weird one. But maybe it's just the fact that, like you said, Raj, they were offering him a a four-year contract and Chelsea were offering him eight plus 
and it, it is and to be honest, I say as simple this, as that yeah 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 no I agree I, I look I totally agree and I, I think that you know it you look at them look at what happened with Mudrick and we did all the groundwork he was twerking for us and ultimately Chelsea came in paid the money and he was like okay so perhaps Liverpool thought in exactly the same way Chelsea may have done the groundwork but if they're not willing to pay the money and we are then they'll come to us I guess probably they just didn't think that um, maybe that maybe they just thought Chelsea might not also go up to that amount, but um, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, let's see because it's the other thing is it sounds like Lavi is going to go Chelsea as well. Is he? Everyone's reporting that he's it's closer to Chelsea than he is Liverpool. Um, I don't know. I think Chelsea just they're doing some bad things in football. And I don't know. It's just the, the, when I think about this nonsense, it just annoys me. So I'm not going to think about Chelsea. Um, but like you look at their first 11 today and it, it, I don't think it was that good. Um, yeah. Like you said, we've spent, we've, we've not, we've not not spent, right? We've spent money, but our first 11 seems considerably better than theirs for probably half as much money. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I mean, in fairness to Chelsea, they, they have sold a lot. I think over the last year, us. I think they've, yeah, yeah. I think they showed it today on Sky. I think they've managed to recoup something like, I was it like 240 million or something like this really? uh, over the last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot because the, if you think about Havertz, Mount, Havertz, Mount, then um, you have like the folk, uh, like a few folks who obviously went over to the Middle East. So you've got, um, you know, all that crowd. Um, Who's got Mendy, yeah. and um, I think Kante went on a free. But there are a couple of others that I'm forgetting, and then obviously the the crowd went to Italy recently. So Pulisic and um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Mm. So like it all adds up. It, it seems to like add up, and uh, and I think they've done okay in recouping money. Maybe it's not as high as I said it was, but um, but they don't end up like prior to to, to Caicedo. They didn't end up with a huge net spend overall this year. Yeah. Uh, but but now, like with Casido, yeah, it's big. And with Lavi, it'll be big. So, yeah, geez. Look, man, I don't know. Like you say, it's probably not worth thinking about because clearly they, if they're doing all this, clearly they've got a plan. But clearly they think that they can stay within the rules. So um, it is yeah. what it is. But look, cool. Um, it was really fun chatting, mate. And um, we will probably not record until after Crystal Palace. So, Everyone, I hope you enjoyed the start of the season. Hope you, hopefully you, you enjoyed this episode. Again, please like, subscribe, and share. We um, really do appreciate it. And enjoy the rest of your week with Arsenal being joint top of the league. See you guys. See you later. Bye-bye.